All right, so with the entire Pybus clan in Scotland doing the work of Jesus over there, we have a special guest speaker today. Now, he served for 11 years at Grace Church and now currently trains and equips pastors and church leaders all over with resources to help improve their churches. So please give a warm home church welcome to our speaker today, Mr. Kirby Anderson. Well, good morning, everyone. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Thank you so much for such a warm welcome. It is such a pleasure to be with you all here today. And I wanted to start off by just thanking Pastor Jeff and Lisa for the invitation to come and be with all of you here today. I've gotten to know your pastor quite a bit over the last number of years and really, really appreciate the man that he is and all that he is doing here alongside with Lisa and the rest of the team. Of course, Jeff and Jan Jackson, I've known them for longer than any of us want to admit publicly <laughs> right now. And uh, I've gotten to know so many of the other team here. We've done some leadership exercises over the last couple of years. And I just want to tell you how blessed you are to have this group of people being able to serve all of you. Can we show Pastor Jeff and the whole team some appreciation today? Yeah. And while I'm in the bragging on you mode a little bit, let me just tell you how impressed I am with all that you have built here. Guys, come on. I travel all across the country and I'm in churches all the time. And I know what it takes to build a space like this, an environment like this, and this is just absolutely amazing. We built out, when we were in Wisconsin, a 20,000 square foot big box as well, had to take it down to where there was barely anything left and rebuild it. I know what goes into all of that, and I just want to give you a great attaboy, girl for doing all of this. I think we just ought to thank the Lord today for all that he's blessed you with. How about that? Yeah. I feel so much at home here today. It really is a little bit like old home week. I'm a little disoriented. I see so many familiar faces, and for many of us, we haven't seen each other for quite some time. It's going back a long time. It feels like an, about three or four lifetimes ago, uh, to be real honest. But it's so good. I feel like this is just a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. We're going to get there, and all of this, all of the history that's woven together and we get to come back together and just thank God that we've been able to share uh, bits and pieces of our lives together in building the kingdom. And it's just wonderful to be with you. And for those of you that I'm meeting for the very first time today, we're excited to be here. And while I'm saying we're excited to be here, I want to introduce you to the better side of the we in, in my life, the better side of me, and that's my wife, Gail. Gail, would you stand up, please, sweetheart? It's my wife. She really is the best part of me. Uh, we've been married now over 44 years. We're better than ever. She just about got me broke in. Just about got me where she wants me. And I know she's, uh, she's thankful for the, all of that. So we're very excited to be with all of you. And just a little bit more about me for those of you who don't know me, in addition to what Justin said and a few other little things, some of the things I'm most excited about, it, besides being the husband of Gail, is I'm the dad to five. 
I have three sons and twin daughters. In fact, my son Jesse and Rachel and Becca, they're here today as well, and I'm so thankful that they're here. Probably the greatest uh, title that I'm enjoying right now and role is that of Papa. And uh, there are seven people on this planet who are qualified to call me Papa. And that is probably the, the greatest joy of my life at this stage, seven so far. We'll put it that way. I, I'm looking forward to, to many more. Out of all of the other things that we can use to describe who we are and things like that, I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about is I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a beloved son of the Most High God. And as I get older, I'm just enjoying that more and more, understanding all that's in that, just how good it is. Uh, to, to be forgiven and to, to have, a, have a new day, to continue to become more like him. And that's what I'm most excited about. Now, vocationally, Justin touched on a little of this. I've been in ministry over 40 years and been around the block a little bit. 35 of those years, I was fortunate enough to serve in three great churches. I cut my teeth in ministry in the 80s. Uh, right here among all of you at Grace Church, I was fortunate to be the associate pastor during that time. Worked a lot with, with Jeff as we built the school of the local church. He built it. I just got to be a part of all of that in so many wonderful years. In 1990, God called me up to the backside of, of Wisconsin. I was up in a little town, Sheboygan Falls, and became the lead pastor up there for 19 years and uh, took this little church of 40 to about 400 in, in that community, and it was just a wonderful season for our family. And then I moved back here and got to be director of Dry Gulch USA for six years. I know we've got some Dry Gulch fans here today, and many of you are the beneficiaries of that, as I was. What a wonderful season that was. And I got to host uh, so many of you, your kids, your grandkids out there for summer camps during the year, retreats, had many that come from, from uh, home church, or it was actually Grace when I was there, and uh, just such a huge blessing. How many of you got to attend Christmas train uh, at one of those special times? Just such a blessing. And uh, so I've been able to be a part of so many great things, and now uh, I'm a privilege to be a friend and a coach uh, to just church leaders all across the country. I'm in the season of contribution right now, and I like that. Uh, you know, for so many years, I was in this leadership role and building teams and all of that, and man, I was ready. That's tiring, man. <laughs> now I just want to come alongside the young bucks and be able to help them to be able to fulfill what God has called them to do. In fact, that's the thing that I find that I, I love doing more than anything else. I just love helping other people find their purpose and help them to work towards fulfilling it. You know, I think that we all believe, want to believe, that our simple stories, our humble lives, are going to someday have a part of a tremendous impact, a kingdom impact in this world. I want my life to make a difference. How about you? Amen. I really do. And I'm grateful for the opportunity every day to, to be able to do that, to be faithful and obedient. Every single one of us, I am convinced, was created by God on purpose and for a purpose. And we spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, on discovering what that unique purpose is. We do. We, we labor over this. And I like what Mark Twain said, uh, one of my favorite quotes is he said, the two most important days in any person's life 
is number one, the day that you were born, and number two, the day that you figure out why. I agree. How about you? And sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to figure that out, and yet once we do figure it out, ultimately we're supposed to use that unique God-given design for one general purpose that we share together, and that is this. God's heart is for people to be restored back to a relationship with him. This is the sole reason why Jesus came. And it is the only reason why we're still here, is to do the same thing. And God has charged every single one of us to intentionally and fervently reach those that we already know, people who are far from God, and to help them find their way back through Jesus. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. In fact, really, I want to share with you a few things that I have learned over the last few years that regrettably, I kind of missed in the first 60. And I hate to admit it, but I'm okay with saying that because I get it and I'm very passionate about sharing some of these things with others that I have the hope or have the pleasure of doing so in hopes that all of us are going to be more effective in mobilizing ourselves towards greater kingdom impact. Would that be a worthwhile morning? to be able to talk about that a little bit. I'm excited because I'm kind of right in the middle of, of a series uh, Pastor Jeff has started on keep moving as we obey all of the things that Jesus said. And so today we are going to talk about his great commission that he gave to every one of us. Would you join with me in prayer as we set ourselves before his word this morning? Father, thank you so much for the chance to be here. We're grateful for what you've done in our lives, for what you are doing in us. And Lord, we're grateful that you're here among us today. Thank you for the blessing of our church. Thank you for the blessing of each other. And now, Father, as we set ourselves before your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would open up our eyes, open up our ears, help us to see and to hear the things that you would have for each and every one of us today, no matter where we are in our walk with you. Stir us up. Fire up our hearts again, Lord. Help us to catch your passion, to see this world through your eyes today. We thank you for what you're going to do in and among us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. About 29 years ago, it was back in 1994, coming up almost 29 this coming summer, our young family at that time, while the kids were still home, we were a camping family. Uh, we were a large family of seven. Hotels wouldn't just rent us one room, we had to have two rooms, and on a small church pastor's salary, that wasn't an option. So we traveled in our vacations in a little pop-up camper, and I had a little six-man tent that we would pitch for uh, the three boys that would get relegated out to the tent. And we traveled around, and in the summer of 1994, we found ourselves at a wonderful state park, General Butler State Park, down in Kentucky. It was a beautiful area, and we set up camp in this wonderful wooded area, and it was beautiful. One afternoon, it was a lazy afternoon, my twin seven-year-old daughters, they got separated from me. And they didn't know it at first, and neither did I. They just kind of drifted off, as sisters were prone to do. They were carefree, it was in a safe setting, 
Who knows how they got where they were. They just got started on a path and were happy and just drifted. But when I became aware that they weren't around me, I did what any dad would do. I start looking around. I checked the camper inside and out, the tent, the van, started expanding my search a little bit, looking around as far as I could see. I started calling out their names. At first it was kind of not too, too loud, but it gradually got louder. It gradually got a little bit more desperate. I even broke down and employed the dad whistle. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but it does to my kids who are here because it's a little bit legendary in my family. One of the best things that I ever did. I have a really shrill whistle that not everybody can do. I worked hard at it as a kid, and it has really paid off. I have trained all of my kids, and now my grandkids, that when the dad whistle goes off, you stop. You turn and look for dad or papa. And even my two-year-old who's here today, we're in training right now. When I whistle, I ask, what do you say? Coming! <laughs> That's it. The dad whistle is never ignored. I test drove it here a few years ago. Our whole family was at Silver Dollar City, and my son, who's going to be 42 right now, he was way ahead of the pack, and I just decided to test it. And amidst all the crowds, I whistled. Everybody stopped and spun around. Yes! Still works. Flex a little dad muscle every so often. I gave the whistle that one day, crickets, nothing happened. I became more frantic. I was caring less about what other people thought. I started walking up to perfect strangers and asking them if they had seen my girl. My mind was racing out of control. Where could my girls have gone? I decided at that point I had pretty much exhausted the campground and I thought I would head up to the clubhouse and the pool that was about a quarter of a mile away. And what started off as a brisk walk quickly became a dead run and I was absolutely panicking. I was losing my mind. The, just nothing else mattered but finding my girls for the first time that I could remember. They were outside of my protection and my care, and it scared me. I did not like it. I got to that clubhouse, and I just looked around. People in the gift shop quickly ran out back to the pool area. Doggone it, there those two little buttons were out there with all the people. I found them. And when I went up to them, I began to realize that they also were just starting to realize they were out of their depth. They realized that they didn't know where dad was, where their brothers were, and they didn't know the way back. What I want you to understand here is this. I found them. Whether you're a parent or not, you have to feel this right now. It's almost 30 years and I'm still getting emotional <laughs> over this thing. These moments that just happened so quick felt like an eternity because of these girls that meant everything to me. 
And you know who were also, also in the picture at that time were their brothers. Because somewhere along the line, early on in my search, they picked up, something's off. They picked up on dad's urgency and his fervor, and they joined in the search as well. In Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse, or in verse 10, Jesus made this really simple but amazing statement. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I am envious of Jesus of many things, but this is certainly one of them, that he could so clearly sum up his unique purpose of why he was on this planet with just such a short, simple, concise sentence. I came to seek and to save the lost. And what he's talking about here is you and me. We were his mission. It's amazing. And what's even more amazing is, like my daughters, we didn't even know that we were lost. We didn't even know that we were separated from God. The Bible says that we were alienated from him. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't even have a clue of where we were and how lost that we were. And once Jesus provided the way for everyone to be restored back to this relationship with God the Father, he then commissioned every single one of us to follow in his footsteps and do the same. And this is what we all refer to as our great commission. And it's found best here in Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verses 19 and 20. Read it along here with me. It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this is this is basically Jesus' last words as he's checking out. What last words would come out of your mouth when you know you're leaving this life? you're leaving this planet. Man, I've thought about that a lot. If I had the privilege to be on a dying bed and be surrounded by my families, what would be my last words to them outside of, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'll see you again soon? What would be those words to let them know? Don't mess with each other, stay close. Don't you dare fight with one another, so help me, I'll come back and haunt you. No fighting over the will. What? What would be the last words? These were Jesus' last words. There's weight to this. This is the mission that he left for the church. It's the mission that he left for the local church. Every local church. I'll go even farther than that. This is the mission that he left for every one of us as followers, individually. We don't have to come up with our mission statement. I've been in a lot of exercises where organizations craft their mission statement. It's good to figure out why you exist, but we don't have to do that as a church. <clears throat> it was already given to us. This was it. Essentially, you boil it all down to this. He wanted us to make more and better disciples. That's the work that we have before us every day. Now, every church may say it a little different way. Church where I'm at right now, we talk about it in these terms, to introduce people to the real Jesus. Here at Home Church, it's to love God and to love people. 
But the greater point of what I'm making here today is this is a mission. And it is a commission in the sense that we are to be working together to fulfill this charge that Jesus gave us. It was not a suggestion. This isn't a thing of, you know, if this happens, that would be a kind of a cool thing. That's not it. This is serious stuff. It's a charge, and it isn't just a mission for Pastor Jeff or church leaders. It is our mission. It's your mission. It's my mission. And we need to accept the ownership of this. And in order to fulfill this, it's going to take some things, family. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take some strategy. And it's going to take some fervor. We're talking here about a passion for reaching the lost, about understanding the heart of our Father God, the mission of His Son Jesus, and the commission that He has sent and given to every single one of us. Now, if you have your Bibles, you may want to open them to Luke chapter 15. It's become one of my favorite chapters in the gospel here in the last couple of years for the reasons that I'm going to describe. I've spent a lot of time here, and it's a familiar passage of Scripture to all of us because it basically is made up of three very familiar parables to all of us. Three different parables Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 15, but the interesting thing is they're all about the same thing. They are all about searching for something that is lost. The first parable is the lost sheep. The second parable is the lost coin. The third parable is about the prodigal son who came back home. But essentially, it is all the same message. And I learned a long time ago that any time that you find something that is repeated back to back in Scripture, it is for one purpose, emphasis. The translation here is this. This is a big deal. Jesus wants us to understand the heart of our Father and to know why He came and what it means for every one of us. Now, in this first parable, in verses 1 through 5, we have the parable of the lost sheep. And it describes a shepherd, a good shepherd, who had a flock of a hundred sheep. He cared and loved for every one of them. One day, he discovered that one of them had drifted, was lost, and he left the other 99 of his sheep for a season. He made it a priority to seek and to restore the lost one. It says in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that was lost until he finds it? It's talking here about a, a, a focus. It was talking about a, a critical priority. Yes, there's the ninety-nine, but you are not going to just give up on this one we are going to overbalance and to focus on that one for this point in time. Now, I spend most of my time vocationally right now working with an organization called Intentional Churches. I love the name, don't you? It really means so much to me because so much of life I have determined really has to be intentional. Uh, if you're just, I love that, that phrase that life is more about choices than it is about chances. And too many people are, are living just hoping to see what comes about. 
But so much of what is in our responsibility comes down to being intentional about it, and it's the same with churches. I find over the years that the church is some of the most passionate people on the face of the earth, but so light on strategy. And if we do have a plan, we get distracted, a squirrel, it's over here, and we're off in something else, and we don't stay on target with what it is. So we spend our time coming alongside church teams right now. I get to work with them for a year, and we're helping them to form strategic plans in order to help them to mobilize their own congregations, their 99 that we refer to it, to reach the ones of their community, the lost ones, and to do that in a more intentional and a greater way. And one of the first things that we often have to do as we begin to work with a church team is to teach them that you are going to have to overemphasize an outward focus on the lost of their communities in order to counter this natural tendency to go inward. And believe me, there is a gravitational pull to go inward, to focus on ourselves. And it's not because we're bad people. We're good people, but we're human. And humans do just that. We gravitate towards the comfortable, towards the familiar, towards the convenient. We like what we like, the way that we like it. We tend to focus on our personal preferences. And it is the one thing that challenges churches from fulfilling the mission more than anything else that I have found is we grow inward. We see it in churches all the time. The 99 forget what it was like to be a lost one. They forget what it was like before they had a saving relationship, a life-changing relationship with God. Do you remember what that was like? I had to stop and think about it every so often. I did again this week as I was preparing for this. It's been a long time ago, almost 50 years ago. Man, it was miserable. It was horrible. And when you realize that, it, it does something to you. And yet, we enjoy all of the things that we have right now of knowing God's saving grace. And we need to get back to the heart of what God wants us to. We, uh, we like what we have. We like our rhythms. And you know something? We're happy if somebody else stumbles through the door as a Pentecostal accident and they just show up someday and they like what we have here and you're welcome to come on in as long as you like what we do the way that we do it. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious, but I think we need to be at times just to kind of open up our eyes a little bit wider. The focus has to be on the outward. We need to be thinking about those who aren't here yet. There's a lot of people who need to be here but aren't here yet. And it's got to be passionate. We've got to be urgent. We've got to be fervent about it. In fact, I'm convinced that the best way for us to become more Christ-like, how many of you are interested in becoming more like Him? I'm convinced out of all of the ways that we have crafted and put energy into, and they all have benefit. But I am convinced that the very best way to become more like him is to become more selfless by focusing on the lost one. Amen. Let's go back to that great commission. It's about more and better disciples. 
Now, we talk in terms in the church about evangelism and discipleship. Those are big words. There's a lot into that. Everybody has their own idea of the best way to do that. But they are not mutually exclusive. I firmly believe that God designed it that these were best to work like this. That when we are focusing on those who aren't here yet, we have to lay aside some of our preferences. We have to put energy, attention, intentionality to stretching ourselves. What happened in the book of Acts as people were overwhelmed with how God had blessed them? They began to give of everything that they were, everything that they had. Why? To build the kingdom. It was all about this. We've got to do this. They were urgent. They had no idea how long it was going to be till Jesus came back. For all they knew, it was going to be next week. They were on this thing. And so again, I believe that the best way that God's ultimate plan was for us to be focused and to remember there's a lot of people out there who need to know him, who need to be brought back. And as we do that and work on that, that alone will probably be the best way for us to become more like him. Friends, I just want to say it right out today. There are people in our lives today, people that we know, who are lost. They are separated from God. They are our lost ones, and we care for them. I pastored for 35 years, and regrettably, I'm just not sure that I did as good a job of this myself or in mobilizing my church to reach the lost ones in their lives. Now, I'm not beating myself up so bad. I, I wasn't completely negligent in this. In fact, for those who were with us up in Wisconsin, they would say, how can you even say that? We did so many things in outreach. I personally spearheaded so many uh, countywide campaigns, initiatives, and led Scores of churches uh, to, be, to come together so that we could reach thousands in different kinds of initiatives. So as an institutional church, we did a lot. We mobilized things in that way. But not with the intentionality and the fervor that I wish that I would have had individually. And as I look back and reflect on it, I feel that a lot of my attention and focus was distracted by the wants and the demands of the 99, the church people, those that were there. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but the 99 are very vocal. They can be very demanding. They may not try to be, but yeah, they, you know, they, they are. And here's my point. Church leaders hear the voice of the 99 very clear. Sometimes it's hard to hear the voice of the Lord because the 99 is so loud. But I want to tell you, the voice that we do not hear is the voice of the lost. We don't hear them. They're not here yet. And I let those wants and demands of others become my main focus. And that is why Jesus emphasized here three different times why it is so important that we need to stay on mission, focused on the one, simply out of a perspective of mission, because we are all prone to pull inward, 
to like what we like. This is good. We had fire at one time. But I just got comfortable right now. God's heart is still for people to be restored back to a relationship with him. It's the reason that Jesus came. And for all of us who have been blessed with this new life in him, he is calling us to intentionally and fervently reach those that we know who are far from God and to help them find their way back to Jesus. So let's talk about that a little bit. This whole idea of evangelism. Listen, I've been like you. I've been in the church house a long time. I have heard the evangelistic messages. I have heard the missionaries. I have heard about the need to reach the lost world. And if you're like me, I shrink back from that a little bit because generally I frame this up in thinking it is about people who I don't know. So now I need to be motivated to go knock on doors of people that I don't know. I need to be talking to people on the street that I have never met, that I have no relationship with. That's overwhelming. That's intimidating. Now, for some of you, that's like kids in the candy store. You love that, but you are not the norm. That is not the norm for most, and if that's the way that you're thinking about it, it is not the way that Jesus was framing this up. Some people are called to reach the masses, the unknown, true, the lost out there, the people that, that we know that are there, but we don't have any idea who they are. But what Jesus was requiring of every one of us as his followers is to, he commissioned us to reach the people that we already know. And that is so different. And he didn't leave us to do this on our own. So perhaps for those of you who are introverted, listen, Jesus emphasized this as well. We just read from Matthew 28, beginning with verse 19, but let's go back and to read what he said right before that in verse 18 and at the tail end of verse 20 where we left off. Notice what he said. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Why can we therefore go? The implication is he got all the authority that was given to him. He's given it to us. And after he says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them, he said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promised he was going to be with us. He said, I've got all the authority you will ever need. I am giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got what it takes. So I bring all of that to this point because here is the million-dollar question for today. I want to ask you, who is your one? We'll say it again. Who is your one? Not a faceless group of people out here, the lost. Oh, yeah, well, the lost, you know, they're all around us out here. Forget that nebulous group. Who's your one or ones? You know, the great thing about the gospel as we look at it is it was always been relational. In fact, I think the greatest asset that we have in carrying out this, this mission of ours 
is the relationships that we already have. It's our family. It's our friends. It's our coworkers. It's our neighbors. It's people that we do business with on a regular basis. These are the people that we already know. And I know that we all genuinely hope that they come to know Jesus and that they're going to experience all that we have come to know, and that's great. But the question that I've been wrestling with for a couple of years is, is that enough? I don't believe that it is. There has to be more than this Pentecostal accident that we laughed at. It's got to be more than that. We have to be intentional. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, it means that we've got to identify them. And so if you haven't already done so, I want you to think and answer that question. Who is my one? And I want you right now with pen and paper or maybe on your iPhone is to write down the name of your one, him or her. And it doesn't, you can write down additional names later on as you go, but for right now, I want you to write down one. And then I want you to think about this. The little that you know about them, or as much as you know, what is their life like right now? What are their aspirations? What are their hopes? What are their challenges? What are their fears? What are the things that they are wrestling with right now where they are feeling completely alone? What is it like for them? The cool thing about this exercise when you do that is all of a sudden this nebulous lost people out here, it just became personal. These are people I know. People who need more than what they have. These are people like what I was, doing the best that I could to stumble through. And I needed to be rescued. So identify them. Secondly, you need to invest in that relationship. And here's what I mean by that. It starts with prayer. Praying for God to open up their eyes that they would become aware that they are lost that they are separated from God. And then for them to begin to understand just how good he really is. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And when you understand how good and loving and forgiving he is, you're gonna take off in a dead run towards him. You may not have ever experienced anything like that in this life, but you know it when you see it. And then start strategically carving out time to connect with them and to nurture this relationship. How do we do that intentionally? How do we pick up on somebody's schedule? And we know that our neighbor's going to be outside and maybe mowing the lawn the same time every week. And maybe I choose to be out there doing it about that time as well. And during a break, we have a chance to connect and to talk a little bit more. Maybe it's extending an invitation for somebody to come over for the big game or to just have a meal. And we're not even talking here about framing up a gospel conversation yet. It's just being good humans. It's just building relational equity. Why? Because we're expecting that somewhere along the line in this relationship, God's going to create an opportunity and we're going to have a chance to share a bit of our story. And the cool thing about sharing 
bits of our story of how, what Jesus meant to us is it's your story. Nobody can argue with that. Now they can choose to believe it or whatever, but there's nothing threatening about any of that. So we identify our ones, we begin to intentionally invest in those relationships, trusting God for that opportunity. And then thirdly, we need to invite them. We need to invite. Think of all the examples in the Gospels of people who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. What was the first thing they did? They always ran back to their homes, to their cities. You gotta come and see. You gotta meet this guy. You need to hear this guy. It was the same every time. And they didn't go back and talk to people that they didn't know. They went back to their, their families, their friends, their brothers. You gotta come. You gotta see this. That's what we're talking about. You invite them to church. When the Spirit nudges you and say, invite them. Bring them to a small group. Bring them to another church event, any place where the people of God are at because they can experience the love of God through His people. And the challenge that I'd like for you to consider today is how can you bring at least one person regularly to church with you? When was the last time that you really challenged that? Or has it just been something like when it lands in your lap, all of a sudden, oh, man, there it is. They just walked up and asked, can I come to church with you? Well, sure. But how intentional have we been? This isn't a guilt trip. It's just a, a matter of perspective. And I'm not talking about inviting your Christian friends to come with you. That's fine. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking here about prioritizing your one. And can I just say today that we have, in six weeks from now, one of the couple high points of the year, the opportunity to invite our unsaved friends to church? On Resurrection Sunday, on Easter, people are more prone to come to church then than probably the rest of the time of the year. So how can we now be praying for that one that you just wrote down in your mind. How can we be praying for them, building relationship, and inviting them to come with us on that day? Perhaps inviting them to come to dinner afterwards with us. We'll even pick you up and bring you here. It's so powerful. Friends, it's not playtime anymore. What do communities do whenever somebody is lost? We hear about this every year. Some community, there's a child that's lost or somebody else. What's the first thing that people do? They form a rescue effort. People suspend their jobs. They come from all walks of life. We're going to go out. We're on the hunt. And we're going to continue to put everything at a lesser priority until we do this. There's a passion. There's an urgency. And the strange thing about being lost is that again, you may not even know that you are. You're not even aware of it at first. But when you become aware, it's overwhelming. It's horrible. It's scary. It's confusing. You may not even know the way back. And perhaps some of you today are here at the invitation of a friend. And you might be lost. You might not be in a relationship with God. 
but you may not have even been aware of it when you showed up today. But now you're thinking about it. So no freaking out right now because this isn't a bait and switch. You know, I've been to those dinner parties. I've been invited over what I thought was just going to be for a dinner, and all of a sudden I'm in a network marketing presentation or something. And this guy, what the heck is this? Nobody's going to put you in a headlock right now. Nobody's going to ask you for your credit card. Nobody's asking you to join a picket line or anything else like that. You're here because a good friend genuinely cares enough about you to introduce you to a group of people who have had our lives changed forever by Jesus. We're not messing around. We're committed. We know the real deal when we see it. Our lives have been changed by Jesus. We're not going back. We're followers of Him, sons and daughters of the Most High God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And the good news is, is that we want you to know that God loves you too. He loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die a painful, humiliating death on a cross to pay the price for your sins and to make a way for you to come home to Him. He's a good God. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Better than anything that you've ever imagined. He created you. He knows you better than you know yourself but you've drifted from him, just like we did. And yet he never stops thinking about you. And he's reaching out to you now, today. Why would anybody turn away a rescue? Can you imagine anybody who is drowning push away the life preserver? Or someone who is lost in a canyon someplace and kicking away at the, at the rope that's dangling from, from the helicopter? And why in the world would we ignore the embrace of a loving Heavenly Father who knows exactly what we have done, who knows how big of a mess we have created, and is just glad to have you come home? That's what's extended to every one of us here today. And you can have all of that today with just one decision with just one prayer. And I want to give you that chance to do so today. And without embarrassing anyone, I'm going to ask all of us, can we just bow our heads right now? And I don't want you to think about the person on your left or on your right, but I'd like for us all to pray this out loud together today, just so that no one feels intimidated. So if you would, just repeat this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for leading me here today. I need rescued, saved. I need to get right with you. I'm trusting that you love me. Forgive me. Thank you for making a way for me to come back to you. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you died in my place that God raised you from the dead. I don't understand everything, but I make you my Lord today. Help me keep taking steps to become your follower and fulfill your purpose for me. 
Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, it's your first step. But we need to keep moving. There are other steps. And thank God for that first step you took today. In just a few moments, we're going to give you a chance to talk with one of these folks who are at the back, back here. They just want to celebrate with you, hear a bit of your story, and share with you about a couple of things that are available for you to keep taking steps right now to become part of the family of God and to learn more about what Jesus has made available for you. And so in just a few moments, uh, Josh is going to come up here and share with you just a little bit more about that. But if you did come with a friend, make sure you tell them of your decision today. I just want to tell you again how grateful I am to be here with you. It's meant so much to me. Uh, so many wonderful memories in this church and with so many of you. And I hope that you all today will accept this challenge of mine that I've given to myself. Also to God make me more aware. Help me to be more intentional. Help me to see those that are already around me, that I already know. Help me to know how to build a relationship with them. And God, don't let me miss the nudge of your spirit when I can share a story or invite them. And I hope that every one of you will be praying for someone and hopefully inviting them to come Easter. Six weeks from now, this place needs to be overflowing. And I can't wait to have a chance to hear the stories. And I hope to see you again soon. And just to be able to celebrate with you on everything that God has already, that he's done and is going to continue to do in your lives. Thank you all so much for your attention today. I hope that was helpful. Was it helpful for you today? God bless you.